0: Welcome to the Digital Ecology Podcast. Here we create a window into the backstory of technology adoption in England's National Health Service. I'm your host, Victoria Betton. Today I'm joined by Tracy Watson, who I'm really happy to have on the podcast, and we've known each other for more than a few years. Um, Tracy's um, responsible for digital transformation at the Northern Care Alliance. And previously we first met when she was working at the centre leading on partnerships and industry engagement for NHS Digital. So um, Tracy, today we're gonna talk about the human dimensions of change and very happy to have you here chatting with me. Hello, and thank you for the invite. Really happy to be here. So first up, Tracy, before we get into talking about sort of human dimensions of change, I know that you've got quite an unusual background, I think, when it comes to uh, your current role and your sort of more recent career path. And I think I think your background maybe tells a bit of a story for why you have an affinity for thinking about design and ergonomics and human dimensions of change. So could you just tell us a little bit about your background, please? I'm sure people will be curious and surprised to hear about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I um, I mean, like most people, you start off on a career path, don't you? And then you, you end up a million miles away from, from where you started. But um, I, uh, I studied uh, graphic art and fine art. So that's where I started within a, an advertising agency. And I was a, a fine artist for a while. Um, and then joined the civil service. Um, I went in on the graduate scheme and wore lots of different hats like you would normally do on a graduate scheme, really, uh, trying on different things and, uh, and and then figuring out really what you what wanted to specialise in. I came into the NHS and um, technology probably about 12 years ago now, and that was only by accident. That was a, a geographical thing, to be perfectly frank. I was uh, based in London at the time. Um, and uh, mp fit um headquarters connecting for health was was based in leeds so i came back home to leeds and that's that that's why i found myself i suppose in uh, in in health and technology but i should st- say I, I started really my my health tech career wearing a commercial hat so a million miles away from from a cio um i suppose the The connection that you've made around design, you know, originally starting as a a creative, that's why I'm so attracted to problem solving. And for me, design is all about problem solving. Um, So we might be talking about, you know, designing systems or processes, but it's kind of all the same space for me, whether it's a blank piece of canvas (laughs) or, you know, an advertising brief or, uh, you know, thinking about a new way of trying to deliver care for patients.
0: And you um, mentioned MPFIT, um, Tracy, and um, for the new, for, for those of us that have been around for a while, everyone <laughs> knows what that is, but for maybe more recent people, just describe what MPFIT was and, and any reflections you might have from a human dimensions of change of why maybe that programme ultimately wasn't as successful as it might have been.
1: MPFIT was the national programme for for IT, and I suppose the programme probably was synonymous for the centre, and I can say this because I worked in the centre myself, probably making lots and lots of assumptions about how a centrally managed, governed programme should determine what adoption levels should look like across England. And they did that really, I suppose, Without properly validating and understanding what the reaction from the NHS was, and uh, and that's what what I suppose commentators looking at uh, something like MP Fit now tend to reflect on. You know who actually jumped in on the MP Fit bandwagon and who decided not to to, to bother to do so.
0: And do you think we've learned the lessons about that engagement with the NHS and with clinicians and NHS organisations when we're looking at digital, you know, big technology projects? That was, I think it was like the biggest public spending in the UK ever was, um, was MPFIT. Do you think we've learned the lessons from, from that programme? I think, I think on an,
1: an academic level, absolutely. Yeah, people can recite what went wrong, why it went wrong. I think where we come unstuck within the NHS is the the constraints that we have to deal with, you know. So targets, for instance, um, tend to drive behaviours. Annual planning um, schedules and funding tends to drive behaviours. So What almost happens is, you know, you you know, you've got a finite amount of time to be able to secure money and then design, develop and deploy something. People tend to then think, okay, we just need to jump into solution mode. Otherwise, we're not going to spend on time or we're not going to deliver on time. And that's the counterproductive thing, because what tends to happen is By not investing up front in terms of really determining what that problem definition is, involving the right people, not just tokenistically at the very beginning and then saying, okay, thank you, goodbye. (laughs) But throughout the whole process, which in itself takes time, means that the end result probably isn't going to be as great as what you would have hoped when you're thinking about your return on investment that's my experience
0: and so we're trying to drive things often led by budgets or end of year deadlines and so on we're trying to drive through these quite sort of complex projects but maybe not properly appreciating or accounting for or giving space and time to all the complex factors that are um that are successful um I don't know digital transformation depends on
1: absolutely absolutely and it's 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 not just about patient or staff need. It's it's also about understanding, I suppose, the environment in 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 which something is going to be deployed or or even the environment in terms of the widest sense around things like emerging policy or new targets, et cetera, et cetera. So none of that then is taken into account when when thinking about is this the right product choice or service choice, whatever the design you know, wiki problem might
0: be. So Tracy fast forwarding then um, a few years to the Digital Academy um, I know that you've recently graduated with um, a distinction no less from the Digital Academy could could you just tell us a little bit about the programme for people that are unfamiliar with it and maybe in particular about the module which does focus on um, user-centred design because I was really delighted and surprised to see that included in the programme. Yeah I mean the program
1: itself is is split into a two-year schedule uh the first 12 months works towards something something called a pg dip a, a, a postgraduate diploma and that splits digital leadership into six modules and user-centered design is 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 one of those modules at the end of that 12-month period you can then decide you know decide to go on do a dissertation and then translate that then into a yeah, a masters
0: so tell and 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 just to be clear then the digital academy is run by the nhs for sort of aspiring and current digital leaders, both clinical and operational um, leaders. So it's great that that grounding in user-centred design is, um, uh, is, is you know, people are being exposed to that approach. And you actually decided that you were going to focus your master's dissertation on that topic. Tell us about why, why you decided to do that.
1: It's something that I feel quite passionate about because... When you work in technology, there's a tendency to really focus on the actual deliver and deploy aspect of technology without thinking about the discovery part that comes before that and the people. And, you know, there's lots and lots of academic studies out there that will tell you that regardless of the amount of money the NHS has invested into new tech um, and, uh, and digital per se, there's still not sufficient evidence to say this is making a huge difference. We're really leveraging that investment. And then you've got to ask yourself, well, why is that the case? Why, why is it we're spending all of this money and we're not seeing the types of outcomes that we'd expect and it all comes back to people, you know. Um, Bob Watcher in his review back in, I think it was two sixteen, said it's it's really not about the technology. It is about the people that you you're actually aiming the technology towards. So, you know, it's 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 not sufficient just to think about trying to automate current process because that's not gonna that's not gonna transform anything. It's really all about working with clinicians, um, service users, whoever the end users are, and really trying to understand, because digital is an enabler at the end of the day, so it's really trying to understand exactly what it is that's not working and what it is you need to do to try and transform those services so you're able then to leverage much better results. And then you think about the technology in terms of how it enables that and to really kind of get into what is it that we're trying to do and how we're going to improve things, et cetera, et cetera. You've got to understand, you've got to have a, a, a more in-depth understanding of the people that you're aiming it at. And I think, to be honest with, with you, Victoria, I don't think there's any board, um, you know, or senior management um, leads that would argue that people are not centric to all of this. I think the question is, how we get there, you know, what, what what methods and techniques we use to really understand, appreciate and empathise with the people that that, that that we're trying to service and therefore come up with design solutions that are not only going to be sticky, they're going to work, people are going to want to adopt them, but they're going to be sustainable as well so that's that's my passion really in a nutshell in terms of trying to
0: track that and you've hit you've um you've hit the nail on 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 the head for me I think that um that we we pay lip service you talk a lot about clinical engagement and involving people but I don't think we've always got the rigor in terms of the methods to, to actually do that in practice so so Maybe before we talk, though, about um, methods, I know you interviewed lots of people for your um, research as well. So could you give us a flavour of what sort of things were um, your um, interviewees saying? And of course, we were just coming out of Covid when you did it as well. So I'm just wondering whether there were any themes around culture and Covid and, and some of the challenges the NHS had experienced during that time.
1: My, my, my study research um, predominantly focused on qualitative research and uh, and observation. Um, I split my research group into three, um, one being UCD, user-centred design experts that actually did understand uh, the discipline um, in detail, but certainly the other two groups, which were executives and um, change practitioners for, for want of a better description weren't that conversant with UCD so it was really interesting to um, get a feel for what their reaction to UCD was and it was I suppose it was less about um, utilising a method or a process or a technique to, to, to be able to kind of you know, unearth exactly what users wanted. It was it was more to do, I suppose it was more to do with culture. And it's 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 funny you should say, you know, following COVID, because um I think during COVID, especially if you worked, you know, within a provider landscape, it was very much command and control. It needed to be. Um, but then post-COVID, people felt that they'd not moved from that command and control and user centered design as a mindset is 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 really about thinking about bottom up rather than top down. It's bottom up trying to influence, you know, what what new policy might be or what new process might be. It's not just about digital. Um, so for me, that 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 was the recurring theme that 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 came across. Um, how do we alter mindset culturally? How does the bottom-up feature? Because you'll have a lot of organisations saying, we want to create the right conditions um, to be able to afford staff the ability to come up with um, innovative ideas around how we can solve certain problems or think about new ways of trying to work smarter or to try and optimize what we're doing. We've got, <laughs> we've got lots of wiki problems across the NHS. Um, but then you've got to go back and examine the conditions and say, hmm, have you really set the right conditions to allow staff to be able to feel that they're being listened to or there's not a load of red tape that they need to go through before they're able to platform their opinion so so it was an interesting study because what we were able to I suppose surface was a more I suppose important factor around what's inhibiting people (laughs) from being able to kind of demonstrate that they actually want to be part of a solution so rather than thinking about how can we adopt UCD as a technique or a method or a process and thinking about well how do we fulfill that it was more organizationally how do trusts need to adopt this as a mindset rather than a method
0: and, and when you interview clinicians because I know you interview clinical leaders so you've sort of got the operational side of the organization and how it incorporates this approach maybe into business change and so on how how did clinicians sort of respond to or where you've tried out these methods how have they sort of responded to this more sort of participatory approach I guess?
1: So I think it's right to say clinicians are always spooked especially the CCIOs when they're invited along to a workshop and they might be um, to quote my CCIO who I work closely with a kidney doctor yeah and then suddenly he's he's been asked to comment on new new ways of clinically working in the community he's not he's not an expert on that nor is he a representative view around that so I think at a more strategic level clinicians really appreciated the fact that actually this isn't tokenistic this isn't asking giving them delegated authority to to be a master of absolutely everything this is about coming up with a a method that's inclusive for all of their clinical colleagues and communities um, so I, I suppose it was relief more than anything else in terms of old old ways of working I think I think when we've utilized UCD within the trust that I've worked within we've we've had a, an overwhelming um, positive response really not only, because they've been given an opportunity to share their views, ideas, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But also, they can see it as an emerging capability that really helps the organization think about how we can design better, how we can um, create, you know, a different aperture, I suppose, for the clinical voice um, so that when we're thinking about new ways of working or, you know, supporting solutions, et cetera, et cetera, their needs have been taken into account from a design perspective. So I don't know, solutions might become more intuitive as a result. There's um, there's less chance that uh, people will feel the need to create workarounds <laughs> because something just doesn't work for them. Um, so, you know, on on, on the whole. A really positive reaction to UCD
0: I'm curious um, about what you said about the that your CCIO your chief clinical information officer and I guess you know my experience working in the NHS we tend to work through committees and project boards. And we, try and we try and ask people, as you say, to have delegated authority to speak on behalf of their professional group, or even speak on behalf of all professions, rather than to actually spend time where people are working, understanding how they work and what their problems are. So it's not that that sort of strategic voice isn't important, but what's missing often is the insight you get from just spending time with people and understanding how they work, what problems they're trying to solve, what their goals are, and so on. Which is a sort of a paradigm. It's a really simple paradigm shift, but it just sort of <laughs> seems to make all the difference. Um, so, it's trace- it
1: simple and obvious, but it doesn't happen. That, that's that's the missing voice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah I, I, absolutely. That's that's my experience too. And and you do need to resource it and and put aside proper time for it as well so it doesn't just happen does it you've got to you've got to build it into whatever you're doing I guess and when resources are constrained it tends to be with the best will in the world it tends to be the thing that drops off I would say
1: and it's a difficult thing to quantify and qualify in in its own right yeah because it's part of a bigger value proposition I suppose because you know um affording three four months to do a discovery properly at the end of those three or four months a lot of people will say well what have you got there what does that constitute yeah and it's not tangible enough in terms of well what's what's my rate of return in terms of paying for a service designer there but actually the overall value is intrinsic when you think about then a situation where you know staff satisfaction is high in terms of what they've received, whatever that deployment might be, or adoption levels are higher as a result, so on and so on. So it's a contributing factor rather than a standalone, and um, and it's an emerging. It's not emerging in the um, tech world, but it certainly is within the NHS because. You know, if, 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 if you think about government per se, I think it was, um, oh gosh, uh, 2010 maybe when uh, Martha Lane Fox did her review around how government needed to design services um, in a much smarter way for citizens. That for me was the starting point for user-centered design Across government, and this is when you know you um, then saw the introduction of uh, the government digital service, who have really sort of spearheaded the way in terms of you know setting standards, etc., etc., in this particular space that we should be adhering to. You know, um, making sure that when we're investing in certain services, that user research has been undertaken. So you are thinking about those optics. Um, I think within the NHS, it's still fairly embryonic. Certainly national entities like NHS Digital have been on this UCD journey probably for the past seven or eight years. Um, But it's, it's, it's still a relatively new thing for providers and now ICBs.
0: So that's the perfect segue then, Tracy. If you can dredge your memory back, I'm sure you don't want to think too much about that dissertation. I'm sure you're glad it's over. But what were the key sort of themes and recommendations that, that you made then? And, and who were they for, by the way? Were they for trusts or integrated care boards or for the centre? What Just give us a flavour of, of the sorts of key recommendations that you sort of came up with.
1: I wanted to really focus on uh, provider trusts. Um, I wanted to uh, be able to develop a blueprint for trusts thinking about um, UCD. Well, not necessarily thinking about UCD on its own, thinking about how they might become more user centric. Um, so my study really focused on um, the prioritisation of uh, digital transformation and how that demand for transformation really took into account the end user. So how we needed to really sort of emphasize more on what can we do to ensure that transformation really does think about, you know, the service user or, you know, the uh, staff member, et cetera, et cetera. Um, my, my conclusions really, again, it wasn't just how can we fulfill this new capability, it was, it was how we can think about adopting user-centricity um, as a mindset. So I, I, I really boiled it down to um, four success factors, and that was around leadership and strategy, culture and people business practice and um, UCD methods. Um, So just to give you a little bit of a feel for that, rather than kind of recounting back the entire dissertation, (laughs) under leadership and strategy, um, it's all about having, you know, the right signals top down that UCD is absolutely okay. And we should be um, creating the right environment for people to feel that... Their voice should be should be heard. Um, so it, you know, one of one of the recommendations that I um, that I felt was necessary was appointing a board member to look at the trusts um, UX, UX you know user experience maturity and oversee be accountable for overseeing that 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 maturity grow. Um, Another thing was, you know, around um, the the board properly understanding what UCD is and what that would mean in terms of, you know, how they operated, for instance. And it was also about valuing um, user experience. So rather than thinking about success metrics in terms of, I don't know, if you're implementing a new EPR, has it has it, you know, has it been delivered on time? um you know did it come in on on budget and um you know what was the disruption <laughs> that it may or may not have caused when uh, when when you deployed rather than just the conventional factors to be able to go back and revisit on a continuum w- what the end user feels about it whether whether you know it is intuitive for them whether or not it um it, it has hit the satisfaction levels that we anticipated it, it might do. So that being a, you know, a key metric in in, in how we measure success. I mean, certainly I've thought about other metrics um, around the other three dimensions, but that gives you a flavour of the stuff that,
0: that I came up with. And is there anywhere we can find it, Tracy? Can I link to it from this podcast? Is it online? She's I'm pulling a, t- a face, t- by the way, for people that obviously can't see her. <laughs>
1: i will have to find that out for you and come back
0: to you. Well, I think I'll be trying to persuade Tracy to uh, put it online somewhere because it really is a great piece of work, and I think um, I think many people would find it very um, very useful. And you have got those four recommendations or sort of areas for recommendation set out so clearly. Um, so, out of all of them, um, Tracy, if you had to pick out you know, one maybe even small thing that would make the most difference in sort of this more sort of um, user-centred approach, that maturity of an NHS organisation? What's the, if we were starting from zero, what would you be encouraging a trust board, for example, to think about um, off the bat?
1: Unless you've got board or exec buy-in to any of this type of stuff it's it's never going to fly so for me i think the single biggest thing that you can do is get that buy-in from from the exec from the board get them to really understand how beneficial becoming more user-centric is and get them to kind of understand what their role in signal signaling to staff what that might look like you know um I I think that's probably the single biggest thing because then all the other stuff can follow because you're then starting to create the right environment where people feel it's okay to invest what is needed in terms of whether it be user research, service design, whatever that might be. Um, So I, I I would definitely say board exec signaling to create the right environment.
0: And going back to the beginning of our conversation, you know, that that we talk a lot about engagement and involvement and participation. but We don't always have the methods to do It's maybe a message to the board. You know, this is important already. It's in your business case. Here are the tools and the methods and the approach that will actually enable us to do that properly.
1: I think with anything like this, you almost need to start small. Um, You need to think about how you can prove the concept. Yeah, um, and it doesn't have to be a big project. It can be, you know, it can be something where I don't know. You're, you're, you 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 just um, improving process, <laughs> but you can demonstrate exactly not only um, you know what 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 improvements were sought, but the process that you went through, how how people reacted to that. Um, And I suppose why UCD methods work better than any other change process that might be utilised within your trust.
0: Strategic stuff, but there's also a bit of just do some things and learn from the things and show those things. And that that builds a degree of momentum. It
1: proves the case that you can then build on iteratively um, because. Most people, if they're unfamiliar, they might agree with the principles. But then if you confront them with a business case around, well, this is what it's going to cost. <laughs> they're going to need, you know, um, some some support in trying to kind of understand exactly what you're advocating. So I think the best way of um, trying to prove a case is um is to demonstrate it
0: thank you so much for joining me today and it's been um brilliant to hear about your experience and your research and the themes and the recommendations i am going to try and convince you to put that online somewhere because i really think people ought to have an opportunity um to read it and it did get a distinction after all so it was clearly very good um but tracy thank you so much for joining me today thank you for listening to the digital Ecology Podcast. Please like, subscribe and review by the usual channels. My book Towards Additional Health Ecology is available via Amazon and you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn and Medium at Victoria Betton.